Welcome to Goodwill Talk. We're so glad you're here today. At Goodwill Talk, you'll get to know your pastors, hear answers to your questions, gain biblical perspective on things going on in the world, and most of all, grow in your love for Jesus and the Bible. Let's listen in to today's conversation. Welcome back, everyone, to Goodwill Talk. We're so glad that you are with us today. I am Mark Sortega, one of the pastors of Goodwill Church. As always, I'm joined by one of my co-hosts, Jessica Kilduff. Jess, how's it going? Good. Good. Summer's almost over. Oh, man. School, school might start, hopefully. I'm excited, excited about this. I think all the parents Even are though like, it's... So, like, the summer is always long, but the summer after COVID is... It's unfathomable this is how the slow year. the days have been going. It's astounding. Um, and we're this close, this close to children being back in school. Oh. We are praying for no changes to the plants, even if it's like just part of the week. It yeah. Is, it is an important, yes. Thank <laughs> so you many hallelujahs. Oh, my goodness. So Jess and I are here, and the other voice you hear is not Pastor John. Pastor John's not with us today. Um, instead, we are doing what we promised a long time ago to get to know your pastors. And we're finally getting our pastors in here. So last week we learned uh, and, and got to know Pastor Ken a little bit. Next week we will talk with Pastor Jose. This week we are with Pastor Tim Sherritt. Tim, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's good to be here. It's good to see. Is this your first podcast experience? You've done this before. I have never done this before. All right. I'm still getting used to the... I got bass going on here. Oh, yeah. No, you hear everything in these headphones, man. That's excellent. So anyway, <laughs> welcome. We're glad you're here. And and this is a little bit of a get to know you. We're yeah. going to get to know you as a person, but also get to know part of what you do here in the life of the church. Because I think some folks, um, they they maybe go to different branches or, or, you know, they just show up for worship and they leave or they do online stuff and they don't know what our five pastors do here at Goodwill Church. And so this is an opportunity for people just to learn. Yeah. Um, we all have different areas that we oversee to pastor our congregation. Um, and so I'm going to kick it to Jess for the first question today. Um, <laughs> I'm curious which one she's going to ask. I, I don't know what these questions are. You always bring interesting questions. So. Oh, I don't really have that good of questions. I didn't sleep good last night. Oh, so excuses. My brain is real. And Natalie didn't take her medicine this morning, which oh. it, it leads to a lot of chaos right. in our house. Forgive so I'm very... Th- <laughs> I have a, going, so I'm, be back to school. Yeah, I have a very, very <laughs> low bandwidth today. Okay, all right. But no, I'll, st- I'll start it. So my first question was, how did you get to Goodwill? Because I th- I think that you were at Goodwill, and then you weren't at Goodwill, but now you are at Goodwill. <laughs> how did I get to Goodwill, leave Goodwill, come back to Goodwill would be probably a closer You have You have a story, man. I do have a story, yes. Uh, it's, uh, I'll try and give you the abbreviated version. That's good, because the these are short episodes. So the story goes that uh, I came to Goodwill in 2002, 2003, and uh, I... Listen to Pastor John. We were only at the what is now the Lindsay Pullman Chapel. That's all there was. I listened to Pastor John. I I, I remember thinking I, I wanted to I wanted to be here, and I approached him to ask him if there were any groups that I could connect to to meet people that were like I was looking for men to speak into my life, and I in error mentioned the word single, and that was the wrong thing to do. <laughs> so so I was. Uh, he said yes and invited me to his house where I thought I was going to meet this singles group. And, and it was, it was just, I was the only male in that group. <laughs> so, oh man, threw you right into it. Yeah, he did. And him and his wife, because uh, his wife works with Julie, or worked with Julie. And uh, so I, 
I met my wife uh, through Pastor John. Uh, uh, Pastor John baptized our kids. Uh, obviously, he married us, baptized our kids. And, and then, uh, obviously, not in chronological order. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I went to seminary here. I felt the call to go to seminary and uh, served at a church that was kind of under the wing of Goodwill for a time. And then uh, felt the call to take another church for a time. And I did some hospital ministry. I was a chaplain, did some uh, CPE, that's uh, clinical pastoral education, which was uh, Pastor John's prompting. Uh, which was the single hardest and most rewarding experience in ministry. So what is that? What do you do? Uh, well, that's a, that's a challenging uh, question, but um, it's, it's a mixed bag of uh, reading and reflection with other chaplains of various denominations while doing boots-on-the-ground chaplaincy work in the hospital. Uh, so I'm, I'm serving as a chaplain. I did it at Westchester Medical Center. Uh, so you do rounds, you're with patients, but you also meet with other uh, clergy and dialogue and reflect with each other and write short papers and meet with a supervisor. And it's an accredited program to get you to be able to be uh, accredited as a certified chaplain. But, uh, and so it's very involved. I did one unit of that, swore that I would never, <laughs> ever, ever do it again, and then ended up doing four more. Wow. <laughs> So why, wow. why? Why did you keep going back? Because I'm a glutton for punishment. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, it was a super challenging experience because I, I am a very black and white person. And I was, you know, fervently evangelical, struggled with the dynamic there because I, I was, there wasn't as many of, of, of evangelical uh, chaplains in my cohort. Um. And I struggled with it, but I just felt the Lord leading me to, to go back for a second one part-time. And then after that, I did a residency, which was three full-time ones at the Children's Hospital at Westchester Medical Center. And uh, that was extraordinarily challenging and shaping because I have two kids, and my kids were sort of, they were very young at the time. And so, you know, I was there and wrestling with leaving there and all the dynamics of uh, parents having to leave their kids that were sick and getting to go home to my kids that weren't sick and, you know, and just uh, trying to relate uh, to those parents with kids without taking too much of it on. And that not sounds be, not exhausting. Be very, very helpful because <laughs> it would just be too emotional. So, um, and that's the whole idea of ministry of presence and active listening, which are integral dynamics in chaplaincy work. So um, did a lot of that. Um, I actually taught Bible for a year at Harmony Baptist, and I took a church uh, on the outskirts of New York, almost in New Jersey, in a little town called Unionville, pastored there for about five years. Um, and then for various reasons, found ourselves back here attending, um, and just part of the community. It's one of the first things we noticed when we came back here. We, we, uh, my wife and I started attending a marriage group and just really felt the sense of community that we were missing. I just right away, it's one of the first things. And both of us were like, yeah, that's good. Well, that's, that's right. what we're missing. You're back home. Yeah, and that's what it was. And uh, steps were taken, and uh, here I am. And here you are. And 
Well, and it's interesting. I mean, that community is the thing that draws you back in. And now one of your main roles here is to help create community through yeah. small groups and those kinds of ministries. So we did an episode on small groups. I don't know if you heard the episode where we talked about small groups and talked about the the horror and terror that we feel about <laughs> small groups. Um, but also how wonderful but and, as, and edifying that they are and can be. And as important as they are, too, <laughs> yes. because they're, they are a... As terrifying as they are to me, the idea of walking into somebody's home and bearing my soul to another, um, that's how discipleship really does happen. It's life on life. It's caring for one. It's really getting into the the grit of each other's lives. Um, so small groups are something that we're kind of starting to roll out because as we've said a hundred times on this podcast, we had a plan. <laughs> Plans, I don't even know why we make a plan. Kind of, sort of, <laughs> is, is the key uh, narrative. There was a plan. Um, but we're actually not that far off the plan this time. We, we were hoping to have a full battery of small groups to launch in the fall. We're maybe not there, but we are moving towards small groups. So I wonder if you could share a little bit yeah. your vision of small groups, why you think small groups are so important. Just, just teach us a little bit about that. Well, the launch part is uh, it comes with that uniquely 2020 sense of flexibility <laughs> that we're all forced to take on. 2020 sense, you know, that's going to become a term. You know what? Use your 2020 sense of flexibility that's and everybody, oh, okay. Oh, oh so oh, you mean don't make, I, I didn't don't bring even that with try me, with so the plan. <laughs> it's a different dynamic of flexibility, but I, it's, it's, it's kind of part of my testimony mm. that coming to faith, I, I, I came to faith as a 15-year-old young teenager. Uh, had every struggle in the world, normal teenage struggles. My parents were divorced. We, I moved in the middle of that in, in middle school and then in high school and all of the peer pressure. And uh, and I had no discipleship. So I was a believer struggling with God because I had no idea why he wasn't waving his magic wand and making me not have any struggles <laughs> in life. <laughs> Just, and so yeah. I think that, in short, that is kind of why I have this you know, it's on my heart to want to share that because once, you know, it took a long time to get there, but that also is the f formative part of it. And for me, I, I, I see that as essential. So the, the model for small group is kind of a twofold component. That's discipleship in small groups, and that's part of the title too, so it works. But it's, it's the same model for one-to-one -one reading as it is for the small group. And it's just a, it's a framework that enables us to open up scripture and read it with a degree of objectivity. It's not absolute, but it's a simple framework. And I gotta tell you, it's, it's rewarding, but also uh, striking how many people will tell me, I've done it with a number of people, and how many people look at it and just think, I've been a Christian 20 years, or I've been a Christian 30 years, and I had no idea. Wow. This is just, it's so simple mm -hmm. that, it's, that it just is, it becomes effective for them, and they're just, they're taken by it. Um, and I'm like, it's not my idea. I'm just passing it along, right. and it's you know it's just a simple construct, and uh, the same model is done in the small groups. We just take it and expand it into a small group setting, uh, using that model and applying it to the sermons that are being preached. So we're we're staying uh, within the text of wherever sermon series we're in in the small groups and the one on one. You can do it in any area you want. So, I mean, it's it, am I allowed to say that? Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm doing it with uh, with Matt, and we picked. Jude, so we could okay. hopefully get through it soon. <laughs> That's what he said. <laughs> the, the grueling summer has made it a little hard because of his work, but uh, yeah, he works in air conditioning and refrigeration. So yeah. this hot summer has really been a challenge. So when I told him that we were talking with you today, he's like, "So, asked him if it's a challenge to work with with redneck, stubborn redneck like me." <laughs> 
are we allowed to use that word in our podcast? All right, Probably that was um, well, that was quoting quoting no, Matt like literally. Kilda. He, he is outside and sunburned most of the summer. I mean, that's what he's saying. I don't know where, where no, it comes great, from. Right. But, so he's saying, how, how, how do you deal with the challenge of <laughs> pastoring stubborn people like himself? <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's actually a lot of fun, to be honest with you. It's a lot of fun. And what I find is, as they sit and do it, seriously, they're, they're engaged by the idea. They, they want to learn. Right. Uh, and the, and it's, so they're like, okay, how do you do that? What does this mean to look at the context and what does it mean to make observations? And that's sort of the framework I can expand on that, but um, it's just an acronym that we use. It's a very simple acronym and it's kind of funny because the acronym is coma, which is, <laughs> the, you know, we strive very hard to not I make people comatose. I really when they're don't reading know the why word, they named it that. Cause that's I, not, it's, that's it's, not it's, ours. It's, we stole that, yeah, but it's, we stole it. Absolutely. Maybe want to re acronym that thing. I, I've tried. And many have tried. It's just, <laughs> it doesn't it's, work. It's hard to do it, but oh. just think of the irony of the coma is meant to keep you alert and plugged in. So yeah. think of it like an irony. But okay. uh, the C is for context. So you're looking at where you are in the Bible, what's happened already, what's yet to happen, gives you, a, gives you just that, it gives you context, big picture idea. You're making observations, that's the O, asking questions of the text. You're drawing meaning. And I, I always tell people, don't. Don't make the text say something it doesn't say. So don't try and answer your questions about observation in the, in the meeting context from the text if it's not there. Just it, it might be somewhere else in scripture. Just make sure you're you're aware of that when you do that. And then all of it's just so you can make application. So you're you're trying to apply it. So you do these three things first. You think about where we are in scripture. What am I seeing in the text? What does it mean? And then we make application, which is an important distinction. It's very simple, but it also is attainable for people. Well, and this opens the scriptures up to so many folks, because I think a lot of people are are intimidated by this large book, and they're like, how, how do I read this? How do I, how does it all fit together? It's not written, it's not provided for us in chronological order. No. Um, how do you know, reading a prophet is different than reading a book like First Samuel, which is different than reading a book like Revelation. Like, all of it is is it can be very intimidating mm -hmm. and a simple method like the coma method opens the scriptures up to people to show them you can read the bible for yourself yep. you, you need your pastors you, you need people who are able to to preach the word explain the word we never read the bible by ourselves right yep. we always read it in kind of the community that yep. we're in i say that a lot we want to read it in community right. that's the whole idea right? but man you can read it yeah. And that's that's a huge thing. So that's that's small groups and it's built on the sermons. Why did you choose to build it off the sermons and not like a different book study or something? Well, there's no shortage of book studies out there, right. um, both topical and uh, canned from other people that have book studies. So you could do that on on the off season. We've talked a little bit about the idea of doing it in semesters. OK, um, but the goal here is for repetition. If we're in, as we are now in Nehemiah, we're in Nehemiah, you get a chance to dig deeper into the text. And the, and one of the interesting things is, uh, and it's been asked, well, are we doing it for the sermon coming up? Like, that's, mm. the, that's a common question yeah. for the groups. And I'm like, no, you're doing it for the sermon you just heard. And they feel like, well, we're not prepared. And I go, well, think about it this way. If you spent time in Nehemiah 4, and you've dug deeply into Nehemiah 4, when you hear Nehemiah 5 preached you're going to be that much better equipped to grasp it. It's going to make much more sense to you because you, right. you have some context already built in, right? Just because you're like, we just spent some time in the previous chapter. I know, I know what, we, I know what came before. So now I have a context to put it in. So that's actually yeah. can be helpful in that order too. Well, especially with the coma method, context is so important. And Absolutely. if you, if you have that time in the passage before your current passage, it really does. It, 
Scripture sings when we read it within context. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so that's it's nice. That's you exciting. Should, you should stitch that. Somewhere. Yeah, is that, <laughs> is that our tweetable moment? There you go. Mark that one down. That goes on the. Exactly. That goes on Instagram. <laughs> 2020 flexibility on the back, but that's going to go on the front. <laughs> goes on the front. <laughs> All right, Jess, what's your next question? So no, I liked what you were talking about. Um, that it's going to be on the sermons and not like you said, like a canned book or something like that. I was reading a book recently. And they were talking about how the church uh, uh, in discipling their congregations has really passed that a stereotype onto the parachurch organizations mm-hmm. and that, you know, their people can get discipleship, you know, through that avenue. So I like that. You're yeah. kind of keeping it that this is what the church is teaching. This is what all the pastors are teaching. And so just dig in a little deeper. Strangely, the parachurch organizations were not happy when she said that out loud in a book. But, you know, <laughs> what can you do? But I think that's a but, good point. But in there, she doesn't say that the par- she doesn't say that the churches shouldn't use materials from parachurch organizations but she really says that you know the church should be taking responsibility for discipling their congregations which right. is what the small groups is hopefully going to you know continue sure. to do sure. it's the responsibility in a, in a more, of the church to disciple the congregants yes. right that's right. you know we're, we're the <laughs> shepherds for the sheep first and foremost than than well, it's because, so. you know, God's the one doing the discipleship. That's one of the points that, I mean, we're, we're just talking now about a book nobody's read. But one of the points <laughs> she makes is... is FYI, um, for you who are listening, I don't know what book we're talking about. That's right. I'm just trying not to give a free airtime right now. But um, <laughs> but no, I mean, God is the one who, who is, we're disciples of Christ. Yeah. He's the one who's making disciples. We're the under shepherds in that. And the way disciples are made are through the ordinary means of grace. Amen. Preaching of the words, the sacraments, yeah. through through our joining together. And so it makes sense that our small groups would lean into that ordinary means of grace. Sure. And I think it's, since you brought up means of grace, I'll just, I'll just jump on that. <laughs> Go for it. And say that the, one of the things that I think is really cool about this method is it helps people to look at the Bible in a different way than they normally do. Maybe they have 10 or 15 minutes with a devotional in the morning. They read a short passage. They get a page of devotional reflection on it. Um, but they haven't thought in terms of the way they're taking scripture in, right? Mm. Like the five primary methods of hearing it, uh, reading it, studying it, memorizing it, which is, you know, who does that anymore? (laughs) Uh, Not well as I should. Not well as I should either, but I mean, it's, it's called upon, right? Right. And then meditating on it. And the beauty of that is it sort of organically leads to prayer, right? If you're meditating on the word as you memorized it, you're praying the word, which Mm. is that's so scripture as a means of grace, Prayer is a means of grace. They're, they're woven in. We should be praying scripture. That's how we should be praying. Um, and so, so spending time doing this is going to broaden your prayer life because you're going to be yeah. in the word and you're going to have a degree of confidence in the word that's going to enable you to pray the word better, which that's a win-win. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so. and it also helps for people, you know, sometimes you're having a, a struggle in a certain area and you go to the Bible and they just hunt and peck and, you know, find one little verse taken completely out of context. And, you know, that's what they're posting on Facebook or, you know, writing in messages to people. And I think that, like you said, studying portions of scripture and and knowing who they're to, where they're from, like, you know, what's happening in the situation mm-hmm. will help kind of alleviate some of that misinterpretations of scripture or you it know, taking it out of context. It is. And there's, there's, there's sort of two schools of thought on that, right? There's, there's the school of thought that says we really should read the Bible in bulk, which no yeah. one wants to do. Right. But, That's but like you, like to get the big picture, you need to read large chunks yeah. and you would, and I always say you do that with everything else. You don't pick up a novel and read one page over <laughs> and over and over again. You read the whole novel, right? Yeah. I How don't many watch people like have... one scene in a movie over and over again. I watch the whole movie. Right. I know that. 
that, I don't, that I, one page of Tom Clancy, man. It was epic. <laughs> page 34. I've read that 16 times. I never read 35, but 34. It's like how many people have read like the first three chapters of Genesis? Right. Yeah. And that's it. Over They're and like, over. Uh, I got to names and in form, January, man. in January, every year. <laughs> January, every year. That's right. But I just think that that's very common, right? So we, we tend to we tend to not do that. But it's okay to read small, too. That's, and oh, that's yeah. good to read small. We want to dwell and meditate on that. And it's hard to meditate on big chunks and right. you meditate in small chunks. But you need to know the context of the small yes. chunks. So that's the other part of it, too, that I think I would like to do in the discipleship model is find a way to teach really some survey courses on mm. Scripture because they're kind of a lost art in the church. I don't yeah. see much of them, right? See, we'll do a study on Ephesians or a study on Deuteronomy or we'll do a study on marriage or a study on, you know, a topic. But we don't tend to say, hey, let's do an overview of Scripture, right? Mm. You know, let's just do the 30,000-foot view of Scripture, and that helps with context too so that I can say to people, remember that overview. Here's where we are when we're in Nehemiah. We point to a sort of spot yes. and we get an idea of this is where we are in the context, right? This is... I need that. Yeah. Well, I'm dev- working on it right now, so it's coming. Good. Yeah, he's, he's <laughs> at work. Let me know Matt's got the book, by the way. He's got the little the little version, so I'm de- working on a little bit more involved teaching of it. So, all right, well, I'm I'll looking forward to that. I'll snag that from him. But, I mean, it's it's key, Still right? Because no, snag, he's not using it anyway. It. If you have an overview of scripture like that, then when you do jump into Amos, mm. and you're just reading, like the prophets aren't in chronological order either. No. And if you don't know what the prophet's speaking to, it can be really frustrating because you're like, yeah. I don't know yeah. anything he's talking about right now. And it's because um, we don't have our understanding of, of sure. history. And so but it's hard Psalms to... Too. The Psalms Absolutely. too, right? They're, they're always referencing other parts of, of the historical narrative of Scripture. And you're like, who's that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I got to do more work to figure out what's going on here. All right. I'm going to ask another question that's not related to this. Otherwise, we're not going to actually get to know Tim Sherritt. We're just going to be talking about Small this groups. really fun conversation we've been talking about. Um, <laughs> but I, I have to ask this question because if we were to rank um, the letters after our names, you have Pastor John, who is um, who, who hates being referred to this way, I think, but Dr. John Torres. <laughs> and then you have Tim Sherritt, who's over here with not just an MDiv, but another degree as well. You went to Puritan and got a, a kind of an advanced master's degree. So what what was the thought process behind going to Puritan, getting that degree, and how do you think that that's actually impacting your pastoral life? Glutton for punishment. <laughs> <laughs> I think, maybe like, I, think I already answered that. <laughs> exactly. Uh I just think that when I was when I finished seminary, I knew I just I wanted to dig deeper. I, I that just for me, I was like, "There's more, and I want to do more." Uh, interestingly enough, though, I, my story is one where I I went to seminary on the ten percent rule. So I was a older older student, mm-hmm. went to school without a bachelor's degree, had to matriculate in, uh, which was a funny story in itself because the first semester I'm like, I want to take all the good meaty stuff. They're like, well, you might want to take the easy courses. I'm like, I want to take systematics because if I crash and burn, I'll at least have something I can take <laughs> with me. Like, well, that's good. <laughs> that's how I was thinking. Oh, I was man. so nervous about it, but they, the Lord was gracious and I, you know, I, I was doing good. And um, as soon as I got done, I, I just was doing online to finish my bachelor's degree, finish that up so that I could do something else. And when I was looking around for what I wanted to do, I I was directed to, to look at Puritan, and right away I loved it. I, I wanted something that was deeply about our tradition, uh, that would deeply, you know, dig, you know, 
Alliance is a great school, but it's very it's a very big tent, so it mm, sort of okay. covers a lot of area. And yeah. I wanted to be I wanted to just dig in deeply in the Reformed tradition, and so Puritan gave yeah, it'll me do that ex- for you, it, won't it? It certainly gave me that's very <laughs> confessional, uh, you know. So it was very much an experience, and it really was it was um, it ended up being ten classes, you know, ten advanced classes uh, for the degree uh, THM degree, and you know that gave me the opportunity to dig very deeply and great professors, great experience. You know, I, I would do it in modular form. So I did some online stuff, but I would fly out a lot and, you know, sit in, listen to lectures. And, and it was basically a, it's like a, we're going to have you coming at this time. Here's your reading list. <laughs> yeah, it's about 18 yeah, pages it, long, read, right? Read 3,000 pages or some obnoxious, like, oh my gosh, right? Read all that. The reading then list come to the is class. a book. Yeah, yeah, come to the class and get lectured. And then, and then you're going to read some more and write after that. Yeah. So it was really just a... The lecturing class was in between. Like it was just like uh, taking everything I can to make sure I could do it well. Oh, and those classes can be brutal too, because yeah, especially intense. when when the grade is the one paper. Yeah, it's like oh thanks. So if I have a, if I just have a bad week and write an absolute trash paper, I have to do all this again. <laughs> it's really uncomfortable. I had good weeks by the grace of God. It wasn't, <laughs> but you're right. There is a little bit of pressure. And not just for me, for my wife too, because oh, I always, man. you you know this from school, right? You know, the room is, I'm not a digital person, so the room is, there's articles and there's books open, stacked all over the place. <laughs> and my wife would know it. She'd walk by my office and be like, I'm getting nervous for you because your due date's coming. I'm like, yeah, I know, I know, I know. And I'm, so, all I'm doing is just reading and taking it in. I haven't even written anything, right? It's just all like in my head. And I'm re- you said a key word there, <laughs> office. When I was in seminary, there was no office. There was the dining room table that was inaccessible for about the two weeks leading to the paper to the date that the papers were due. And I'd be sitting there like two days before. I'd be telling them, I'm not getting this done. There's no way. I'm not getting these papers. I got like eight papers due in two days. There's no way I'm getting all these papers. And she's like, it's okay. You'll get it done. It's gonna be all right. No, I'm she's not gonna get it done boy. this time. But like, you say that every time. You always get and I always did get it done. But oh, she just like I'm gonna leave him alone for a little while. He's not a <laughs> pleasant I was person the opposite. to be around. <laughs> I was the opposite. My wife would walk by and be nervous, like your due date's coming, and I'm like, I know, I, I, you know, I know it's coming. I know yeah. I'm good. She would be nervous for me. That's good. That's had someone to shoulder that for you. She's a I had good the wife. You guys have good wives. Yeah, they yes, balance as well. <laughs> they balance as well. All right, next question, Jess. <laughs> oh, so you have youngish kids? Ish. So well, young enough to still need. So I'm going because parenting in a pandemic. <laughs> hey, uh, two so out like, of five ain't bad. I'll take two out of five days back. I'm yeah. hoping for three, but yeah. yeah. So, so your kids are young enough to still need assistance and instruction, not old enough to be able to do all of it on their own. So and, like, and just the right age to not think they need any assistance. Oh, <laughs> well, I, I, did, I forgot about that. And <laughs> you and Julie both working full time in the midst of all that. So how'd you guys fare? She just laughs at us. I like that. She just starts laughing. Well, because if you're not laughing, you're going to be blubbering, crying. We fared. We probably fared like most people. I, I think I remember actually doing an early worship service for the, one of the first recorded ones over the Lindsay Pullman thinking, we're doing so good. I got the kids up in the morning. We're doing like the, the catechism. We were just rock stars early on, right? Oh my gosh. And then like, you know. Time kicked in. 
like way too much time. Together. If I had known, I probably would have snuck in a, a viewing of the English patient if I had, you know. Oh, there you go. <laughs> See, that would have been great. That's, you know. Because I, I had time for that, but uh, no, that just, uh, just kind of got us off the rails. Because yeah. like you said, we're my wife was working, trying to figure it out. I'm working a lot more. And having the screen exhaustion, the you know the oh, mental man. screen exhaustion, the what do they call it? Zoom fatigue? I think they're you know. I think calling people zombies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Zombies. I, I feel like that's a really good name for that. I was yeah. I saw it's, something the other fitting. day that said like there's two different kinds of, of um of exhaustion or, or tired, like one that needs sleep and one that needs peace. And I was like, oh, we all need so much more peace. <laughs> The zombie oh. apocalypse? Can we do that? Hey, that's, <laughs> that's going to be a movie coming oh, out in theaters. Oh man, Sci-Fi Channel already bought the rights to that. That's got B-rate written all over it. <laughs> that's right after Sharknado 16. So, um, so we we haven't talked about uh, something new that's happened. Oh in, yeah, that was on my list here. too. Yeah, is it? All right. So you yeah. want to ask the question? Yeah. So. Uh, Pastor Josh has been gone now for a few weeks, and you are interim pastor over in, in New Paltz. So what does that look like caring for a congregation that is going through some change? It's it's um, it's interesting because I just feel like the Lord's kind of put it on my heart like it's the right place to be. It's where I want to be. Um, I wasn't planning on telling that. This is an interesting story. It has It's a chaplaincy story, but it, it's relatable here. When I was uh, at Westchester as a chaplain, I w- got, a, got a call to visit uh, a family who had just had a stillborn in the a stillborn baby. They asked me to come and baptize the baby. So I, it, I'm going down there asking all the wrong questions, right? Because I'm, you know, just out of seminary and wrestling, and I'm thinking, I, I can't baptize. I'm asking all the theological questions. Your capital right? R like, reformed? You know, like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the TR is just and walking down is. the hall. All in. <laughs> Boom! Like, there's I the hallelujah. That. And, uh, I got there, and uh, the nurse is there, and I ended up doing it. And I, I just remember the, the, the ache and the agony in the parents. And we're in the maternity ward, and literally I heard joy in the next room because oh, the baby wow. was born. And it just struck me in the moment, like, I'm, I'm here. This is, I'm in the right place. I need to be here. Like, it's great to be there, too, and that's a part of the joy of ministry, too, but to be here was where I needed to be, and that was just powerful for me. And because of that, uh, I knew that was part of it. By the grace of God, it hasn't been quite that bad, but I knew right away it was a similar feeling like, I'm here. I'm here to care for them. And it yeah. just, it was a, a lock. It well, was there's a, people, you know, experiencing s- some level of, yeah. of trauma. Yeah, they you are. know, like everybody's already tired. Yeah. Everybody's already like longing to go back yeah. to church. And then it's when the you're going storm. back, it's not exactly how it's the perfect it, storm. You left it. But I have to say, I mean, I'm meeting and spending time with the leadership team and they are full, they're strong and they're committed and they've got they're thinking about the future and they're just like I'm trying to learn their roles and like you don't need to do that that's what we're here for and I'm like wow you're awesome <laughs> <laughs> just like you know I'm trying to like figure it out and they're like nope we're, that's what we're here for they're ready and I, I love that they're ready to cast vision and move to the future they're ready to do outreach in Newburgh. They're ready. They've got. I got a list of twenty plus people that want to volunteer. And that's just the people that came, awesome. right? You know. So that's a. Uh, it's really kind of impressive, actually. So it's it's a blessing. So it's been good. That's one of the joys, that's man, of, of working in these branches. Is um, I've had a similar experience in Beacon, 
where the people just, they get excited, they want to serve, they want to be a part of this. And it does, it makes the job of, of pastoring easier because you're not doing all the lifting you're able to care for the people who are doing the lifting, which is a much more enjoyable way to pastor folks than, <laughs> I mean, it just is. Exactly. <laughs> than trying to drag them along. Oh, yeah. Much yeah. rather kind of steer folks than drag folks. Yep. So, so. Um, when you think through life in New Paltz, um, kind of going through the end of 2020, it, you're, you're relatively new in that pulpit, and, and it's an interim basis, and you're just kind of caring for the people is the main, the main goal here, right? What are some of your goals? For, for the rest of the year? What are you trying to see happen either in New Paltz or small groups, the different areas that you have? Like when you think through the end of this crazy year, what's what are some of your goals? I, th- I think it's, uh, I think the goals are kind of simple. Um, I really just want to, I would like to do some one-on-one discipleship with some of the, the key people there that I'm meeting. Um, I already have some people interested in that. We're going to start soon. I'd like to see some small groups develop there. Um, in this model, that's already happening too. Um, I'd like to see the leadership team rest mm. um, and get just a sense of what it looks like to have balance, you know, because it seems like there's a lot of potential for burnout there. So I, I don't, especially as we're trying to figure out coming back. Yeah. And as coming back may get more burdensome, there may be more people coming, you know, and so, so we're excited about that, but I also want to make sure that that's, that's navigated well. Um, I think I'm just, my, my goal is to give consistency to the pulpit for them too. I think that's a key theme for them and for me too. Uh, they get to know me, I get to know them. Um, and then I think um, the fall will be interesting because, you know, it's a college town, so students will be coming in. What does that look like? Um, how am I working with, um, you know, the college ministry people and you know, how are we availing ourselves, especially in a COVID social distancing right. context, some of that, you know, so... I can't say I've actually formulated a full-on vision for what transitioning from 2020 to 2021 looks right. like. Um, I'm letting that happen kind of organically, and I think a lot of it's about listening. Yeah. And I'm trying to spend a lot of time listening to make sure that their voices are heard. Mm-hmm. You know, they have concerns, they are wondering, and they're wondering about a lot of things. Yeah. And so we just want to hear them and uh, I mean, it's care a, them that way. So it's a strange year, right, to be to be pastoring folks and walking them through new things because. I, I heard an analogy this way. Um, it's the difference between being an architect and a coach. The architect, everything has to go to a plan, go to plan or everything falls apart. The coach has to be flexible, has to be able to, to adjust to what's happening on the field or on the court at the time. Pastoring right now during a, you know, we say during a pandemic because in New York, while things have calmed down a little bit, pandemic's still raging around the world and, and in the United States especially. Um, we don't know if a second wave may be coming at some point. Flexibility is key, right? 2020 levels of flexibility. So as long um, as we get these kids back in school for a couple days, just a, a little week, while for just like a couple of months, even just give us a, <laughs> give us a deep breath just to like Christmas. I'm with you. Thanksgiving, even Halloween. We are all in I'll agreement. I'll take any of it. <laughs> Halloween. We definitely, please. I'm optimistic. Wait, let's just get to 2021. All right. Yeah, so. Well, I'm just trying to get through the end of August and into school starting. So I think that the, the uh, uh, analogy is interesting just because my background, uh, I used to be a carpenter and mm. that is a similar plan. I can't tell you how many times we have joked around on the site when you open up the blueprints and you go, yeah, that worked great in the, in the office. Yeah. The big asterisk not, that not, says not, adjust yeah. for field conditions. Yeah. 
<laughs> Which means throw this out and start over. Yeah, just do your thing. You know how to make it work. Yeah, and we're only working with the foundation, right? We're not working with anything else. Yeah. But if the foundation is off, if it's off by an inch on the bottom, it's four inches yep. by the time you get to the roof. You're going to create a pretty yeah. wonky looking house. Yes. Yeah. No. So that was a, that's a good illustration. It works yeah. well. Yeah. So. Well, Tim, we've been going for about 35 minutes, so I think it's about time to wrap things up for today on this episode. But thank you for thank being you a part of this. Me. We're, we're not... It was fun. Yeah, this isn't the last time that we're having you on. We're going to do this again, I'm I sure. I did all right, then. <laughs> you did okay. You, you got an A++. Plus I get to come back. <laughs> to come back. Um, and, and Pastor John will be back with us in a couple of weeks. We want to get to talk to Pastor Jose next week, and then um, and then we'll dive into some more topics. And, and we encourage people... As they have things they'd like to talk about, send us ideas. We'll talk about them. Tim, send us ideas you want us to talk about. You can email uh, us at ask at goodwillchurch.org. Well done. That was good. So you heard that. You know where to go with the requests. Thank you for being with us today, and we will see you next week on our next episode of Goodwill Talk. Thanks for listening. We hope that this episode encouraged you. To listen to more episodes or to give us that five-star rating, Check us out at iTunes or Google Play. You can also listen on the Goodwill Church app. And for more information about Goodwill Church, visit us at goodwillchurch.org. See you again next time here at Goodwill Talk.